Hello, and welcome to the LSE Africa Summit podcast. This is our inaugural episode, which we're very excited about. For everybody listening today, the LSE Africa Summit is a two-day summit on contemporary Africa, taking place on the 22nd and 23rd of April this year. Uh, But we'll be bringing you interviews and content like this in the run-up to the summit and all through the year afterwards, so stay tuned. Um, My name is Justin Villamel. I'm the summit correspondent, and I'm joined today by our head of media and communications, my co-host, Yossi Olaleye. Hi, Yossi. Hi, Justin. Today, we're very happy to be joined by Professor Pius Adesami, all the way in Carlton University, Ottawa. Pius is the director of the Institute of African Studies at Carlton and is the author of You're Not a Country, Africa, which won the Penguin Prize for African Writing, and more recently, Nigeria de Carry Last, Thoughts on the Nation in Progress. Hello, Pius. Thanks for take, talking to us today. Hi, Justin and you see It's a pleasure. Great. Can you tell us a bit about your new position at the Institute? What does your new role entail and where are you going with it? What's the vision for the Institute? This role, one would be tempted to think of it in terms of a purely institutional administrative role. You know, it's, it's just like being a unit head, a normal unit head uh, in, a, in a university setting. But I wish uh, that was all there is to it. Uh, <laughs> the Carlton University's um, Institute of African Studies is a very unique uh, academic unit, you know, within this this, and and why it stands out is that it is the only one of its kind in the whole of Canada. There is no other standalone Institute of African Studies in any Canadian university. Mm-hmm. You, you may find African studies programs or honors or, you know, the usual stuff, the usual tokenist stuff <laughs> uh, about Africa and other universities. So we are the only standalone uni- um, uh, institute in, in, in that real sense. And um, so what I have under my cap is this unit, the only one of its kind in this country, which houses uh, at its bare bones level, it houses just me, uh, an administrator, administrative, you know, and one, one, one hundred percent faculty member who is domiciled here. But at a broader level, though, and that's why if you go to the events page on our website. It's like a beehive. It's 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 you think you are the United Nations. <laughs> That's because I've got fifty-one cross-appointed faculty members. Because on campus, everybody who is an Africanist when this institute started, and and Carleton University has a very extensive extensive. Um, uh, network of Africanist professors. So everybody is on board. You are all cross-appointed. Mm. For instance, I'm a professor of English. I'm domiciled in the English department. But now I'm here because I was cross-appointed to the institute, so I'm the, I'm the director now. My predecessor, my immediate predecessor, you know, uh, is domiciled in sociology and anthropology. So name any field in the social sciences and the humanities, we've got at least one Africanist there who is cross-appointed. So I have a community of almost 60 Africanist faculty members mm. who are now basically <laughs> part, of the institute. part of the world that I'm responsible right. for. Apart from that, 
because again I, I keep harping on these don't think I'm using your your platform your <laughs> it's fine. Platform to put in plugs for us like <laughs> harping on the fact that we are the only one you know like this and and then we're in the capital city yeah. of a western power so which means that we do more than we have an unbelievable network of strategic partnerships in town. We are a hub of African. It's just like you guys in London, you know. May, okay, maybe you guys aren't so lucky because you share that LSE <laughs> Africa, whatever. You share that with SOAS. We don't share anything with anybody. <laughs> so if you are in Ottawa, you are an international NGO. You are a government department, an agency with anything about Africa. You are a multilateral or bilateral organization. You know the big picture. If you're doing anything in Africa, if you are in parliament and there is an Africa session, you're doing business with us. Oh, wow. We've got, we've got 54, is it 55 embassies and high commissions here. Everybody is doing business with us. So it's a, it's a very interesting... So the director of this institute uh, has a mandate, has a mandate to bring all these strategic linkages uh, um, together in order to sort of blend them into the strategic vision of the, of the, of the institute, which is shifting the narrative. So we, we, we'd like to think of ourselves as part of that global broader movement of shifting the narrative of Africa from, you know, Afro-pessimism to innovation, all the new. So we, we think we're playing a strategic uh, role in, in that picture. Yes, so um, we've been doing a lot of background research uh, kind of into your, your previous work, and one of the things that I'd really be interested to ask you about is about this pan-Africanist narrative. Because you have a piece in, uh, in your book, You're Not a Country, Africa. Um, and I know this is a very contentious issue, but you push back in this piece uh, against not being able to speak about one Africa or call yourself an African. Um, do you consider yourself a pan-Africanist, and, and how do you frame that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... The, the the context in which I wrote that piece has to be I I I I I have a sense things have evolved just a little bit but not very much. Uh, again, my background is is, is literature, you know, <laughs> literature and cultural studies, and I come to literature from I, I went to graduate school when postcolonial theory. You know, poco pomo, you know, postcolonialism, postmodernism, <laughs> and all those theories. And um, it was very frustrating for me uh, the ways in which the agendas of postmodernism were being imposed at the time or encroached very, you know, quietly into post-colonial studies and was affecting the ways in which I was able to do Africa. Postmodernism, in part being that the West had gone tired of totalizations, of grand narratives and all that, so uh, everybody had to beware of essentialisms, of totalization and this and that. Well, it was fine here, but the moment you took that to the African context, it then meant that everything I wrote 
I could no longer have transcendental African thought. Mm. If you were writing about Nkrumah, for instance, if you were writing about that generation, whether you wanted to mine their work and rechannel them into critical new directions for the continent, those guys had Africa as their template. How do you... But in the context of the Poco Pomo that we were doing at that time, then you would not get anything published because you would be accused of essentialism, of, you know, you have to be specific. Uh, which culture are you talking about? Which country? Which ethnicity? Which you, you know, you don't want to totalize. You don't want to generalize. And I would say, hey, 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 wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The agendas of there's a reason why the West got tired of totalizing. So we don't have the same reasons, you know. Yeah, I want to. There are there. Yeah, I want to be able to be to be to be Yoruba. To be, I want my specificity, but I still want that transcendental African. I, there's a, there are ways in which discursively and ideologically, you know. I I don't want to. If if I if I if I'm talking about the neo-colonial or decolonial processes and what some of the... I don't want to talk as a Yoruba. I, I want to talk <laughs> as a Pan-Africanist. I, if, I, if I'm rejecting Bretton Woods, I don't want to do that. If I'm, if I'm talking about uh, where the continent is going, Agenda 26 and stuff like that, I want to do that on that Pan-Africanist. But Poco Pomo was making that unnecessary, was making that very difficult. My entire public work as a Nigerian public intellectual, for instance, one, one key word, if you, you know, pan-Nigerian project, that's, that's, that's what I, I've spent uh, nearly five years in, in public life in Nigeria, you know, working towards that. Um, uh, when you think Nigeria, you shouldn't always think of Nigeria in terms of your, your ethnicity, your faith, and your political affiliation, which are the three factors that have made the Nigerian project essentially uh, a mirage, you know, mm-hmm. up to now. Do you think that what Africa needs, some a very strong union, African union, to be able to be influential on a global level then? Not the current... African Union, you you know, oh, you, yeah. you, <laughs> no, 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 no. The, 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 the current African Union, uh, many levels, it, it's a co- neo-colonial contraption uh, now now controlled by by the, the Chinese. They, they didn't even build. They didn't even build their own secretariat. They didn't even build their own secretariat. That secretariat in Addis Ababa was built. And donated by China. Wow! Wow! Oh, you didn't know that. No, the secretariat was built and donated by. I mean, it's it's like, it's like, the 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 the, the European Union Parliament or the building in Brussels. Can can you have non-Europeans built? It. I don't even know what to make of that. So every time they assemble there to meet. Uh, only God knows who is listening in Beijing. <laughs> so that's that's not the kind of 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 union we're we're talking about. I think that there are 
Pan-African conversations going on that have been enabled in spaces opened up by social media and other new forms of agency. So it's the generation of Africans who are 35 years old and below that I'm talking about when we're talking Pan-Africanism. I'm not talking of the Pan-Africanism of, of the Mugabes and the Museveni's. Mm. No, that's an Oshio's, you know, we want to do away with that. We don't, mm. that cannot represent mm. us. But when you see certain new spaces of, of and, and the energies, when you see conversations, you know, you know I'm a, I'm a student of, of social media. When, when, when you see what's going on in terms of the the absolutely enthralling new conversations happening, say, between East Africa and even West Africa. It's like, oh, so we weren't even talking to each other before Twitter or Facebook. Think of these new artistic and cultural festivals all over the continent, the big ones. Think of Ake. Think of um, Kwane in, in, in uh, Binyavanga's thing in, um, in Nairobi. Think of Babishai and... Um, and writivism yeah. in, in, in Kampala, and think of the flows. Don't think of them as just cultural and literary festivals. Think of the strategic flows. Think of the meeting of minds of, of that generation, and think of the absolute impossibility of those new spaces, of, 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 of I mean, those new kinds of conversations without social media. Those spaces wouldn't have been created. They are totally, forget the, 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 the physical, they, they are totally social media. So things happen at that level that I see pointing towards the future of the continent and, and the possibility of pan-Africanist um, conversations, you know. But the African, I'm not thinking of the African Union. No. <laughs> okay. So, so do, do you see some sort of African identity then extending within the continent itself? You know, is it idealistic to expect um, Pan-Africanist sentiments from such a large and, you know, varied continent? Following from what you said, you know, social media is making this... Um, differences seem smaller we're coming we're closer so yeah. do you think that's going to sort of translate from the digital to the physical sphere in some way not just well, in the culture in the cultural side of things know, but I, general I, as, as i as i cross i i travel in the continent a lot you know every summer usually at least minimally i'm in nigeria ghana and south africa then I, I, I may, if I'm lucky, <laughs> if I'm lucky, I get some, but at least, you know. And when you cross the continent and, and you address audiences in universities and conferences, and, you know, you, you're just amazed by how much of what, because people tend to think that social media is this isolated, isolated universe. You know, but you'll be amazed by how much of um, a spillover is happening and affecting our perceptions of each other in very, in very, in very, very real and concrete and concrete ways. So I think 
what you're saying is 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 possible. It's not this hermetic world where we, you know, we escape to. And um, uh, for, for instance, um, you know that in in terms of re-narrating the continent, taking over our own stories and telling those stories in, in meaningful, positive, hopeful, and strategic ways. There is nothing doing it better these days than African humor. The most globalized faces or representatives of African humor, African comedy these days. Uh, uh, if you're thinking of Kansime Anne, for instance, I'm sure I'm sure you probably watched one or two clips of Kansime. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you if you if you if you're thinking of Pablo in 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 Uganda, if you're thinking of Basket Mouth, Bovi, and all those guys in Nigeria. Uh, not to talk of Trevor Noah, you know, who's oh, yeah. now basically. Where would those guys be without social media? Mm. So they, they, there are these crossovers, yeah. and and I think it's the only thing we have against the the persistent, virulent. Uh, negative intra-African negative perceptions of each other that we still have. It's it's a it's a long road yeah. to understanding. We see so so I see, you know, these re-narrations or re-narrativizations that are happening on Facebook. They tend to spill over, and gradually they are yeah. they are gaining territory. Yeah. So I, I'm hopeful. Yeah. Hmm. So are we. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the, the pieces that I just read was a, a, a reproduction of your keynote speech, which I found really interesting. I think you made it um, last year, where you talked about uh, Nollywood and how African cultural influence doesn't make it necessarily outside of the continent. But that's exactly what you're saying. That's what we need to counteract these narratives. And uh, I'm wondering how exactly do we get this this African cultural influence out into the rest of the world. Um, is this something that you see happening naturally, or does it need a push? You have to, you have to remind me which key. key. I'm, I'm trying. Very, I'm trying very hard to be humble here. <laughs> but, but Too I'm prolific for your own good. I did so many keynotes. <laughs> it was the dowry. I'm sorry. The um... the dowries. The dowries keynote. Yeah, that that was that was at the University of Toronto. Um, okay, so what was the, Remind me what you were giving a summary of it. You have to. I've, you know, I've done quite a bit after, after the dowry. <laughs> it's now a chapter. It's now a chapter. So ever since I completed it and, and um, housed it as a chapter in a forthcoming book, I haven't went back to it. So uh, one of the arguments that you make towards the end of this, yeah. this speech was about, about Nollywood and how it's, yeah. it's a huge industry, obviously, in Nigeria, but yeah. doesn't make it outside of the borders. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, which is a shame because this is the cultural product that could counter yeah, that think. influence of the narratives that we normally see in yeah. in North America and, and other uh, uh, other Western countries. Yeah. How do you see this breaking out? Oh, it has. Mm. You see how quickly things move move on the continent. Um, that 
Ah, now that that's bad news for me. I may have to still go and and, and revise that chapter. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> it's Second too late. edition. It's too late. That was that was before Iroko. That was before Iroko TV, Ibaka TV. Mm. You know all these online streaming mm. and there is some you know there's a multiplicity of online streaming uh netflix like uh so when we're talking of uh the combination of the, the, the you know african innovation when you know all these young entrepreneurs who sit down in lagos in accra in nairobi and kampala and come up with platforms for streaming where people could pay and so all those things are all over they, they, they're moving and they're shaping you know the 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 in fact we are harsher we are harsher on nollywood uh nigerians i have always found that they are harsher on especially nigerians of a certain level of education and culture and <laughs> oh my god these films you have to watch 200 before you can find one <laughs> that, that would come even close to but i tend to look at uh the total picture in terms of this industry which came from nothing hmm. to is it number two now? Has it overtaken I Bollywood? I think it was number two, number? yes, and yeah. Bollywood is so true. now it's now it's number two. So it's a cultural force and it's out there now. It's 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 massively out there. Hmm. And if there's going to be any chance of of any kind of rest because Hollywood is still, you know, very dominant in the misapprehension of look at this new movie that Hollywood just the concussion movie Will Smith. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that the concussion movie. You know, it's a major. You know, it's Will Smith and, and, and all that. Yeah, fine. It's 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 on 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 the good side. It's good to know the story of this Nigerian medical doctor who still who, he was on CNN today. You know, so he's brought out this. You know, who would have known that. The brain, the brain behind. Okay, I shouldn't say brain because we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> concussion research <laughs> in the states. You know that major. You know that, that that's an African. That's a Nigerian. Mm. But then Hollywood says we're doing something about this Nigerian, and they bring Will Smith, mm. and that Nigerians. accent. <laughs> Nigerians are complaining about the accent. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like a mixture of, of. Of, of, of Swahili, Italian, Zulu. It, it, it ends up being nothing like, like you the know, Nigerian t- sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so uh, those are those are struggles that Nollywood as a um, whole, if you if you can look beyond the absolutely horrible <laughs> of of some some movies you know so nollywood i'll say is, is out there I'm, I'm 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 a huge fan and supporter of 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 nollywood i like the yoruba movies particularly i sometimes i watch them to improve my yoruba so it's good <laughs> oh, I, I i i think i watch five of those a week <laughs> <laughs> They're very funny. I feel like yeah. so, some some Yoruba directors have created their own world within Nollywood, yeah. where it's like 
the, the the scenes that they set, they're not exactly the way things are done, but within no. a Yoruba no. film, there's a whole different reality. And I love it. It's 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 such a I think it's such a fantastic thing. It's like they're living in a particular time and the rest of the world has moved on in how yeah, they exactly. present yeah. like a doctor's office, for example. A doctor's yeah. office in a Yoruba film is someone's house, you have a sofa in there and they they they're consulting with you in a public place. That's not how it works, but in a Yoruba film that's the reality. And I find yeah, I find it so interesting that they sort of which is this place where this is this this is our thing and you know yeah. this is our territory and we run things in this in this regard so i think it's great in some ways oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so next question can do that uh, yeah well, moving right along um so in in all of this what role do you think the diaspora plays in influencing how we see africa oh huge mhm Absolutely huge. And the, the, the diaspora has been enabled. First, of course, even that idea of diaspora, who is out, who is in. Hmm. If, if I take myself as an example, my, my people sometimes, I get that question a lot. Where are you based exactly? (laughs) You're always breaking Nigerian news before we even hear about it at home. You you know, we we come to your Facebook wall for breaking news at home. Hmm. Now, 10 years ago, or maybe 12, 13 years ago, I can't be exact, my memory. When the, when the Nigerian Prize for Literature was first launched, and that's part of what we're saying about asymmetries, uh, if you win that prize, you get a check of $100,000. So it's a hefty prize, but it's nearly not, it's not even globally, how many of the writers can you... How many of the winners can you mention? A $100,000 prize in the West. You'd be, you know. But when this prize was first launched, 2000 or 2001 or thereabouts, there was a clear-cut dichotomy between the so-called home-based writers and the diaspora writers. You could make that neat separation. And I remember in in our writer's community that we spent two years of very acrimonious in in terms of, because they said, oh, you guys out there, you're not qualified to enter for this. This is for home-based writers. Mm -hmm. So the diaspora writers weren't qualified to enter their, their work for this price. And we were saying, hey, wait a minute, you guys. If you go this way, you are redefining what it means to be a Nigerian writer. You're saying you have to be based in Nigeria to be a Nigerian writer. So, we, But at least it was still theoretically possible to conceptualize this kind of difference between. But nowadays, who is the diaspora? Those boundaries 
have largely collapsed because, again, of the communities of discourse and engagement that are online. So everybody's everywhere at once and the flows are massive. Secondly, diaspora, African diaspora populations have become very activist over the years. And so they intervene in very, very meaningful ways to shape politics and culture on the ground at home. So all of a sudden, folks realize the power they now have, and they send a lot of money back home, so they have a stake. Sometimes there's a pushback, you know, I write something and people tell me, oh, you know, they try to delegitimize you. You are not here. Well, I say, shut up, I'm putting my money there. I have earned the right to put my mouth... And you have a Nigerian name. Hey. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. So we're shipping politics, we, we, you know, and that is why, if you look at it, many of the missions here now have a diaspora desk. There is a diaspora committee in Nigeria's Federal House of Representatives. Hmm. So across the continent, people are realizing the impact of their communities in the diaspora and, 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 and the immense power they now have to shape, to shape things. Do you recall that incident in London when, when the, 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 the Nigeria's infamous, there was this infamous Minister of Justice and Attorney General, Michael Aundoaka, under Yaradua. He was in a hotel in London. He was in a hotel in London, right there where you were. And then we mobilized on Facebook, you know, at, at the height of some kind of corruption. He was shielding James Ibori. Who is now your guest? <laughs> He's in prison here. <laughs> you know, and and we and, and 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 so we, you know, we spread the word over Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere. This hotel is shielding this man in London. Here are the lines, the phone lines of this hotel. Start jamming their lines. <laughs> they evicted. Wow. That, that's very interesting. And this leads directly to our next question. So here at the LSE, you know, we're, we're, we're hosting this Africa Summit and we're inviting dignitaries and, you know, all these important people. And what is the direct impact of that on the actual continent. So, you know, we can have a governor come and, you know, talk to us about his story, his plans and everything, and then they leave. You know, they come here, they're in the fancy LSE, in this, you know, fancy lecture theatre, talking to lots of people, and everybody's, you know, happy. But, you know, does that have a direct impact on on the continent or whatever country they come from? So well, what are your feelings about such events that you we're hosting? You have, you, have, you have to understand that... LSE is just like Harvard in, in terms of how much it is association with it is coveted by some of the continent's worst political characters. <laughs> they, they, they'll give an arm and two legs to come to LSE for anything. You know that. LSE... The name. It's Harvard or LSE. In, in the Nigerian arena, oh, I was... You know, this LSE business. It's, 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 so you have to understand that you have a certain responsibility to 
the continent at that level. Of course, you, you cannot not invite. Yeah. You, you've got to engage. You've got to engage. So that's but the responsibility to filter. The responsibility to go for only, you know, on, only okay, look, look, would you like to be in the position of 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 of, of Chatham House? If you were Chatham House and you brought Dasuki <laughs> <laughs> And you, brought, and you gave him a platform. Oh, mm. God. Less than a year ago. Mm. You gave him a platform, a global platform, and you know what it means to them. Oh, Chatham. And now you're hearing he stole $2.5 billion. Oh, man, to fight terrorists. People died. Yeah. You don't want to be in that position. In fact, here at Carlton University, let me, t- let me give that to you straight away. If I hear that any delegation is coming, I intervene very active. I want to see the list. Mm-hmm. I want to see, you know, everybody isn't a saint. Yeah. But then there are certain strategies. Yeah, and, and you'll know how to determine <laughs> yes, that. Yes, yes. Yeah, you'll know how to. Do. So you must always do that yeah. due diligence. You must always know who is coming to add value and credibility and name and, and all that. It has to be both ways, mm. you know, while benefiting from your platform because they will benefit yes. from that platform, you know, but they have to add value yeah. to, to your... So it has to go both ways. And you, so you don't... There, there are some people... And you will know those kinds of characters. But you must engage. Yeah. You must engage. You must bring them. That is a really, that is a really good point. Um, yeah. Now, I, I understand that, you know, we're coming to the end of time here, but yeah. um, one question that I had to ask you uh, is the big question about President Buhari. Um, okay. There was a lot of optimism, obviously, going around when yeah. he was first elected, uh, and, and you were one of the optimists. Do you still yeah. hold that same optimism now, considering all the challenges that he's facing? Oh, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I, I wasn't only one of the optimists. I, I invested very heavily in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> Social media promotion. <laughs> <laughs> we know who's pulling the strings in, in, in terms of the in, in the Buhari project. So much so that um, uh, at, at some point you you saw my name. The rumor mill works very actively, flying around. Oh, you know, uh, uh, he wants to be a minister. He's on the ministerialist and and blah blah blah. <laughs> and now when I criticize, uh, m- many of my political enemies feel that it's out of disappointment you know they don't they do not understand that it was never about buhari it was about nigeria this mm-hmm. jonathan guy had to go and if there was any vindication it's in the current revelations now that said you don't put buhari there and and then go to sleep and forget that you still have a broader responsibility to the Nigerian project mm-hmm. and where he is failing or not delivering quickly enough, then you have so on the anti-corruption front, which is my really huge thing, you know, I'll give him a pass. Mm-hmm. I'll give him a pass. So, so, so that's, um, but I'll give him a cautious pass because, uh, well, it's one thing for us to be saturated with all these revelations. 
we need to start seeing proper arrangements. We need to start seeing, we need at least one conviction, you know. <laughs> we, we need one big conviction, you know. Somebody's got to be, because uh, there are so many celebrity arrangements going on. The economic front is not doing too well. Yes. But again, one has to understand where we are coming from. Yeah. Hmm. If, if somebody stole $2 billion from the British economy, it would look like World War, the devastation <laughs> of, of, you know, so you, you have to understand that. And that's just one sector. That's just the funds, mm. the funds for Boko Haram. Mm. That's where they stole the two point something billion from. The NMPC files have not been opened. The NMPC files have not been opened. So it's not doing too well. And then at the level of what I consider strategic, symbolic gestures that a leader must constantly come up with, the symbolic, they don't, they don't, African leadership has, has very, very serious, and I don't even know what you political side, I don't do, I don't know what, how you account for that. They, they, they don't understand symbolism and the power of it. They don't understand abstraction. They think it's just, no, you've got to do some abstraction. You, you, he's got 12 planes. You've got to sell those planes. <laughs> so that's a symbolic example. Mm-hmm. And it's going to send shockwaves through... Okay, look at one thing he did that I, con- I, I commended yesterday. He's with you guys in London now. He's on vacation. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But he handed over... He's gone for five days. He handed over officially to his vice president. That has never happened. Nigerian officials travel with the treasure. If a governor <laughs> is traveling, you don't hand over. It's not done. That's taboo. You do not hand over. Yaradua would rather die on a hospital bed in Saudi Arabia than hand over to good luck. Jonathan, a state was ruled for over a year by a governor in a vegetative state. Mm. Taraba State, he had, he had a plane crash. It affected his brain. He couldn't even, you know, he didn't, they wouldn't hand over. So a simple, something as simple as I am going to the UK for five days, I'm handing over, you know, that, that, that sense, that's so important. I don't even know how to begin to say how important it is symbolically, but he doesn't do enough. Mm. So those are issues. But um, of course, the fundamental premise is that we are, we are here because of the unbelievable depth of rot and rottenness that the previous had made got us into. Mm. So my criticism of the new guy uh, has to be taken in that kind of context. Yes. It doesn't mean a loss of hope at all. Okay, um, trying to think which last question can we end with because we have a lot more. We'll email you these questions, but so, you know, in, in terms of literature, you know, what do you think we should be reading today? You know, from Nigerian writers, what what's the big, what's the new big thing? Who are the 
writers that we should be looking at? You know, who who is saying important things at the moment in Nigerian literature? Hey. <laughs> is that a tough exam question? Yeah, exactly, because you are you basically asking me to canonize ah. to canonize folks in Nigerian, in Nigerian literature. Okay, what what I tell people to when they ask me these kind of questions, I say there is an easy tendency to only look at uh, the globalized breakthroughs. Mm. Oh, I, I got to reach him, Amanda. I got to read. Uh, Teju Cole, uh, you know, I, I got to read uh, Chris Abani and all the Helen Abila and all the guys. No, 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 no. Back home, there are interesting and powerful new voices. You know, you've, you've got to read and Nathan John, you've got to read oh. Abubakar Adam Ibrahim, you know, uh, you've got to read Richard Ali. You've got, it, it, I, I can go on and on and on and on and on. It's, 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 by the way, it's a, it's a generation that's been accusing my own generation of certain, but we don't even want to open that. <laughs> but there is, there is, uh, there are interested new voices. These guys are in their twenties and, 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 and they own the literary terrain now uh, b- back home and they are saying important they are the ones who are having these conversations I was talking about with the I'm East Africans, the Southern yeah. Africans with the... and one thing I found about them is that you know, an Abu Adam a Richard Ali, you know, all these new kids on the block they, they, they seem to have returned to that Pan-African, if they're talking about Kenya, or if the Kenyans in their generation are talking about Nigeria, if the Ugandans are talking, it's like you don't even see where the borders and the boundaries are. That is fantastic. Yeah. We had to ask you one yeah, one literature question at least. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. But thank you so much, Paz, for talking to us today. It's been so insightful. It's been wonderful fun as well. You're always so funny when you speak. I, I mean, I was telling Justin about your uh, TEDx Houston talk, and I just I thought it was great. I should watch it again. But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We would like to thank everybody listening to this podcast and remind you to go visit the LSE Africa Summit website at lseafricasummit.com for any questions, to register for the event, or to stay tuned for more interviews we'll run in the future. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.